This is The Nexus, and I am Art Swift. On this episode, I speak with Amy Parnes, reporter for The Hill and the co-author of Shattered, the number one New York Times best-selling book about the doomed 2016 Hillary Clinton campaign. I'll also offer my predictions for the July 30th and 31st debates. Here's a hint. Expect a lot of desperation from candidates looking to break through. And now, The Nexus. Amy Parnes is a reporter for The Hill, and along with Jonathan Allen, is the author of the number one New York Times bestseller, Shattered, Inside Hillary Clinton's Doomed Campaign, as well as the 2014 book, HRC. Parnes and Allen are working on a new book about the 2020 campaign, and Amy is right now covering the candidates in the upcoming presidential election. Amy Parnes, welcome to The Nexus. Thanks for having me, Art. We have a big week coming up with two more presidential debates. Um, Many have been saying this is a last hurrah for 10, 12, perhaps 14 candidates. Is that true? And what can we expect? Yes, I think it is true for for many of them. I mean, a lot of these these candidates have been hovering around 1% and 2% and haven't had their kind of breakout moment, if you will, um, and they have uh, the time is sort of um, ticking. We're almost a year out when you think about it. Um, when when September comes around, we'll be a year, a little over a year away from election day. And so this is when things get down to business. And I know a lot of people uh, throughout this season, this election season so far, have thought that um, that the, the field is a little a little too big. And so I think a lot of people will be glad to see the field winnow down a bit and uh, that the real uh, folks will are, are now starting to come into uh, view. It looks like we have a top five now and uh, I, I think it'll start to get really interesting. And, you know, I think the, the debates this week will uh, pose, will answer some questions about Joe Biden and whether he has, the ability to fight Donald Trump. Uh, that was something that I think a lot of people wanted to see in the first debate and uh, were kind of left, um, you know, th- there's a big question around that. And so I, I, I think, um, so he'll have to prove that. And uh, I think other people will have to kind of prove whether they have the electability factor. Uh, Elizabeth Warren kind of falls into that category, Kamala Harris. So uh, lots of excitement coming up. And I know that a candidate you cover in great detail is former Vice President Joe Biden. Um, Mm -hmm. Has he recovered from the first debate? I mean, I'm I'm thinking about his performance in that last debate where – it, you know, some said there there may have been aging issues involved. He may have been unprepared, or even something else that we don't know about. Um, I saw him in appearances after the debate, and he seemed robust. But mm-hmm. what was going on? 
He was um, kind of underwhelming, a lot of people thought. He didn't have that sort of tenacity that um, a lot of people were looking for. And, and people were sort of expecting him to throw some punches um, in, in the way that Kamala Harris did. And he never really did that. He he was more statesmanlike. Uh, that was pretty much his approach uh, um, throughout the campaign so far to date. Uh, but then things have changed in the last week or so. You you saw Cory Booker come after him and call him the father of mass incarceration. And I think that really got under his skin. And his campaign really started to think about how to... Um, they, they always knew that it was going to be a nasty campaign. But I think uh, a lot of people that I talked to this week said, okay, the gloves are off. We are fighting this. We know that this isn't going to be um, an easy one to win, but we we aren't going to let people just say whatever they're going to say. Uh, we're, we're going to fight them tooth and nail. And so uh, we, it's an interesting change, though. I think it's uh, a lot of people don't think of uh, Joe Biden in that fiery way, but I, I think he he knows that he needs to start landing those punches, particularly if he's going to be the nominee, because he knows that the general election will be uh, as brutal as it comes. So why not start now? Is that is there potentially going to be, though, a double standard if he, um, Joe Biden, that is, fights back or lands punches or, you know, goes on the attack? Is there going to be a sense that he's being unfair, perhaps? I, I Or is it, are people going to evaluate both sides, meaning if it's Harris versus Biden or Booker versus Biden in the debate equally? Do you get any sense about that? I think he's definitely going to have to walk a fine line. I mean, it, it would almost seem unnatural if his tendency was just to go into fighter mode. Uh, that's not really the Joe Biden that a lot of people know. He is the guy who, uh, as he likes to say, works across party lines and has gotten to know uh, his Republicans, uh, fellow Republicans in the Senate. And so he, um, I think it, it's going to be tricky for him to, to kind of... Um, to walk that line and to do that delicate dance, but he's going to have to learn. I think it's, you know, like I said before, he's sort of proven that he is the electable one that he, a lot of people think in their gut that he is the only one who can defeat Donald Trump, but he hasn't really proven that he has that kind of, uh, that tenacity, that fighting mode. Um, and, and I think that's what he's going to have to try to prove in the next uh, coming weeks and months. And is there a sense that he could do that in this debate? I, I saw him in an interview with Chris Cuomo saying, well, I'm, I'm not used to speaking in 30-second sound bites and, and such, and that's going to be very much what happens this coming week. Are we going to see a rerun of this because he's just it's too fast for him? <laughs> well, I think that was his biggest problem going in. I talked to someone who was familiar with his uh, debate debating skills, if you will. And uh, this person, the source kind of a long time confidant of his said, you know, I don't think it's any big secret that, that Joe Biden doesn't know how to say things in a very 
tight sort of way. He um, likes to go on and on, and, and that's always sort of been his way. And usually if you listen to his speeches, the best parts of his speeches are usually when he gets revved up, and um, they're not usually in the first couple of minutes. Usually it takes him a while to get to a point. Uh, and so I think there is a lot of truth to that. And you saw in the debate something that I saw, something that I found very interesting was that he kept kind of referring to the clock, meaning he was mindful of the fact that he can be long-winded. And so I think clearly in debate practice, he and his aides were sort of practicing, you know, the, the time and him getting to the point quicker. And I think that kind of got into his head. So it'll be interesting to see how he tweaks that and how he, you know, he doesn't want to obviously cut himself off, which is something that he was doing in the first debate. And I think a lot of people found that pretty funny. I know I did. I, I thought it's, you know, I, I thought here's somebody who doesn't stop talking. And yet on a few occasions he kept saying, Oh, I'm out of time. I'm, I'm going to stop now. But that was not the time to start doing that. That's for sure. Right. No, I know. And that'll be interesting to see how they fix that. Cause clearly um, he, that, that was in his head in a very big way and he can't do that. He clearly has to um, talk about what he wants to talk about uh, the, the central, his message. And, you know, first I think a lot of people say he has to sort of attack you know, when attacked and expect the unexpected and then get to the point of what he wants to do and what he wants to say in his core message. So it's, it's a little tricky to fit all of that in. But then again, we, it's been almost a month. And uh, in fact, I guess it, it has been a month at this point. And yet he's rebounded in the polls. He, it, it, Harris obviously went up a little bit, but she didn't go up to become a, the, the front runner and she's not even second or third really in, in most polls and Biden, you know, I saw, I've seen a Hill poll last week. I saw a Fox news poll that said he's about where he was, if not even better than before the debate. So what does that all mean? You know, that's really interesting. I think that people still feel like he is the most electable and he has won to date, the electability argument, meaning that he, people feel like he is the only one in this race who can defeat Donald Trump. And I don't know if the arguments that Booker and Harris have made are ultimately sticking to him. I think initially, clearly, people thought that Harris won the debate. But I think overall, you know, when you look at Joe Biden's record, even though uh, Booker would like to say, make him out to be the father of mass incarceration. Great line, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) He uh, was Barack Obama's vice president. And that's sort of become a talking point for him that, you know, obviously Barack Obama wouldn't have, you know, picked me if I were that guy. (laughs) And so he's going to keep coming back to that. Uh, But, but I think that the polls sort of, are indicative of the fact that he kind of has um, maybe lost the battle that won the war and that people still believe that he is the only one who can defeat Donald Trump. I do think, though, there there are caveats in that, in that um, when you look at Elizabeth Warren there, she has run, I think, arguably the best campaign so far. She has um, done everything. She doesn't really rely on fundraising. It's allowed her to have these sort of 
mini um, moments with people. And, you know, she's one of her aides told me that she's taken something like 37,000 selfies with people. And that allows her to interact with people because she's not as concerned with fundraising. And she's, she's also been able to attract so many small dollar donations and her second quarter totals were amazing. She's also campaigning in, um, in, not just the early states, but in the Super Tuesday states, she has a real strategy going. And so when you look at what she's been able to do and her climb um, it, through the ranks and the polls and how she's been able to kind of even out Bernie Bernie, uh, I think that she is doing what she needs to do. And I'm curious to see if that trajectory continues because it seems like she is very much... Um, an ascendant figure and, and Biden for a while was not. So, you know, I'm curious to see how that plays out. That's something to watch for sure. Yeah. I mean, with, with Elizabeth Warren, I think the, the big question obviously is, can this just continue or is there going to be a ceiling? And is this a thing where if Bernie somehow got out of the race, would all of those voters go to Elizabeth Warren and and so on and so forth and what do the you know the intelligentsia and the the folks who are really um, you know plugged into the the Democratic Party do they do they believe Elizabeth Warren is gonna just keep organically growing or is is she at her zenith right now I think a lot of people are just curious about what she does because she came out of nowhere, really. I mean, she was a couple of months ago, um, you know, polling very low. And uh, her aides, when you talk to them, they said they weren't concerned so much about that. She kept kind of doing her thing, plugging away. They made some very early. She was really the first one out of the gate and made, and that allowed her to make some early hires in key states like Iowa. And they think that that was... Um, big benefit to her. And so I think that she's done all the right things. I mean, certainly she's had some gaffes. The whole Pocahontas thing allowed her to, Donald Trump's criticism of her, allowed her to sort of uh, play into his hand a little bit. And, and she got caught up in that. And that sort of slowed her down in the beginning. But, you know, since then, she's been really able to prove her point and, and doing things like going to these Super Tuesday states that I talked about, she's, you know, rolling out policies and doing, you know, talking to people, um, doing her policy announcements in these states. So she's really at the same time getting to know people, building her grassroots efforts, um, organizing, which is key to winning a campaign. So if she's able to um, kind of stay in this race and be kind of neck and neck, if you will, with, with Joe Biden or Kamala Harris, she is probably laying the traps for a bigger win down the road because she has run such a smart campaign so far. So I'm curious to see if that all, um, if she continues to rise and people continue to follow her and be interested by her. And that will pose a big challenge to Joe Biden later on, uh, particularly early next year. Is Biden's strategy, which I've noticed in the last couple of weeks about defending Obamacare and again pushing back against being the father of mass incarceration and, and so forth, are those strategies starting to bear fruit? Meaning that I felt like, I don't know, a month, six weeks ago, he was Biden was starting to sound like a progressive and starting to sound like he was 
you know, the, like the rest of them. And now he's starting to sound like the Biden of years past, or at least recent past. Um, is, is that starting to have an effect or not yet? I think it is sort of in a way. I mean, that's another sort of delicate dance that he is uh, doing right now because I think he has to, you see him kind of posing up to Obama in certain ways and then distancing himself at the same time and saying, I think he said something the other day like, no, this isn't a continuation of the Obama administration, but yet he wants people to know how closely tied he is. Uh, there are reminders of Obama, you know, even in his playlists on the campaign trail. And so it will be really tough for him to um, to kind of disassociate himself and completely um, sever ties with Obama. And I don't think he wants to do that. I think part of the reason why he's so popular with, he's doing so well with um, African-American voters. And I think a lot of that is because he is tied to Obama. And um, and so it'll be, I'm curious to see how this plays out. And, and also, when and how uh, President he, President Obama's been very quiet so far in this race, doesn't want to weigh in, uh, didn't endorse his vice president. So at the same time, how President Obama feels as the campaign, um, as the cycle kind of narrows and uh, Biden is one of the top picks, I, I still think he obviously remains out of the fray and wants to see this play out. But I, I think some he'll sort of maybe have his hand forced a little bit to kind of weigh in more than he has. I've been hearing a lot about the early states. And yes, Biden is doing well in national polling. He's ahead by 17 points in this poll, 14 points in another poll. But then if you look at some of the early states, he's barely ahead. I think he's ahead in all of them still, but some of them are a percentage point um, and, and so forth. Is that of concern, especially is he, there was always the rap with him that he got into the race too late and may not have staffed up enough or is, or is it all even now and everyone's equal in terms of you know, the, the ground game they have in these states? It's definitely not equal. It's, I talked a little bit about how Warren got out there early and, and made some key hires. And I think that sort of stuff pays off in the end. So I do think that um, Joe Biden got out pretty late. It was a criticism that a lot of fundraisers that I had been speaking to um, in the lead up to his announcement were um, kind of upset about because they thought, okay, if you're going to do it, you should just announce it, get it over with, get in there. Um, start fundraising. And he, for whatever reason, was reticent. And so I think he, you know, it, it'll be, I'm interested to see how that shakes out. I, I do think that he, um, that his aides have been and his team is a little surprised by how close uh, he is in some of the states. But at the same time, I think they feel kind of confident in, in the fact that they they feel like they have so far won the selectability argument and have shown that he is really the only one with the experience and um, tenacity to go after Trump. So, and that's really the only thing that, and, and whether or not you do have that sort of fighter mode um, ability, I think those are the two big factors that Democrats are looking for. I think, you know, usually there are people, Democrats want the more exciting candidate. They want the Barack Obama, the Bill Clinton, 
Um, definitely Joe Biden is not the most exciting candidate this time around. But I think the reason why he is the front runner right now is that a lot of people are they're still convinced that he is the only one who can. They're willing to give up excitement for, you know, the sure thing, the fact that he can uh, pretty much take out Trump. And and there is some nervousness happening right now. You saw President Trump the other day talk about how, you know, he Fox News shows him behind 10 points. Yes. And um, and and Team Biden had a little bit of fun going after Trump. You know, I saw her his communications director say, you do seem a little nervous by this poll. Uh, and so I think that's something um, that that makes them feel good right now that they know that they're kind of um, at least leading in the polls, at least showing that they can take out Donald Trump, which is ultimately where they want to be. Of course. Um, looking ahead at the whole um, slew of candidates, who are the ones who have been a disappointment in your eyes so far? That is a really tough question. I think a lot of people expected maybe Gillibrand, Kirsten Gillibrand, the senator from New York, to do a little better than she has. But I think at the same time, a lot of people felt like uh, the way she kind of weighed in on Me Too, um, on, on Bill Clinton and Al Franken, that she kind of did a disservice to herself. And that's sort of why she hasn't really um, gained any traction in this in this cycle. Um, I think at the same time, you know, I think there's a reason why Cory Booker is obviously trying to have his breakout moment and going after Biden because he really, you know, his fundraising has been okay. Um, but he hasn't, he had a pretty, uh, strong performance in the first debate, but it was overshadowed by the second night debate. And he hasn't really had that kind of breakout moment. And, um, and I think, that has kind of been a little bit surprising to me because these were all people that we were talking about um, when we were kind of talking about the field a year and two years ago. And I think a lot of people that I've spoken to have expected more, expecting more from, from these candidates. And you've mentioned, obviously, Elizabeth Warren has been a surprise to an extent and, and has done remarkably well um who else would you say may have defied expectations in in the field so far oh without a doubt um pete Buttigieg um was someone who i never it's funny um when i was i wrote a story about him a few months ago when he had he performed pretty well in i think it was a cnn town hall and i wrote my first kind of little blurb on him and you know, I, it just showed, even then I was kind of skeptical of, of him and I thought, okay, he's definitely not going to do as well as I thought he would do. Um, I didn't expect him to do. And he really has defied expectations and has done, I mean, his fundraising has been incredible and he has that sort of de that energy that Democrats want. And I think in any other year, he may have been a top three candidate, I think, but people are still not convinced that he, a guy who is the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, will be able to ultimately uh, go into a general election against Donald Trump. And I think that factor is hurting him. But I think in any other year, he would be kind of that exciting candidate that Democrats um, want and, and look for. It's just, it's, it's not that year. Although I might regret saying that <laughs> later on. 
I mean, one thing I've noticed with him, and I firmly agree with you that he's been a, a major surprise and has been a, uh, a bright spot for, for the party. But I have taken note, as I'm sure many others have, that what kind of return on investment are you getting at raising $25 million and you're at about 5 to 7% in the polls? I mean, does, do you think anybody has buyer's remorse about that at this point? Yeah, that's what's the most surprising thing because usually when you're when you have that much money and you're doing so well and you're kind of at the top of of the fundraising game, you're pretty much you're usually at the top of of polls as well. <laughs> so I think that is that that has been hard for for people to square. But yeah, it, it's it's fascinating to me, and that's why I think that the excitement behind him is definitely there. It's just probably not the right cycle and you kind of want to hit that just right and so maybe there will, will be another cycle in the, in the future that will kind of uh, play to his strengths a little more but I just you know this this election is so people just they have one mission and one mission only and that is to defeat Donald Trump and that is first and foremost in the minds of um, of voters I think this time around um, and as we wind up here, I wanted to ask, of course, one big question, and you just made reference to him. How is President Trump's campaign doing so far? I mean, do the mathematics match up for him to win again? I think uh, I was speaking to a lot of Democrats recently who are really scared about um, what he's been able to do so far and what the Republican Party's been able to do. He's definitely bringing in, and the party's definitely bringing in a lot of money and they're kind of setting themselves up for where they need to be. And he um, is, you know, out there campaigning. I think that's really all he's doing right now at this, even this early stage, because he knows that he is probably in for um, a very tough fight. And so they are, they're prepared to do anything and everything to win this thing. And, and so I think that scares a lot of Democrats. And plus, he has a very solid base. His base isn't going anywhere. And everything that he does lately is obviously geared to solidifying that base. And, um, and, and so that is scary to a lot of people. Just the fundraising in and of itself is scary to a lot of Democrats. And I think that is something that they look at and, um, and fear a little bit. Yeah, I would I would imagine so. Um, and um, any other thoughts, things I haven't perhaps covered um, that you wanted to to mention at this point? Huh, that is a really good question. I, I'm curious to see um, where endorsements come in and how they stack up. Usually, endorsements are really um, they're they help candidates and they, they make or break candidates. You might remember our in 2008 when Ted Kennedy came out and endorsed Barack Obama and how angry Hillary Clinton's campaign and oh, the Clintons yes. were uh, with that endorsement. Cause they, this was someone that they had supported and um, helped campaign for and all of that and, and considered him a friend and he kind of turned his back on them and, I'm curious to see how that shakes out and how people, you know, we talk, we talked about how important the Obama endorsement was earlier, but, you know, other folks and even Hillary Clinton and how that kind of where she lands and, and other powerful Democrats, you know, even people like Al Franken, people who, um, you know, there, there were stories written, a story written recently, I, 
believe in the New Yorker about how, you know, a lot of people regret um, booting him from the Senate, but where, basically where these people are in terms of their endorsements and, and um, I think that will um, account for a lot coming, coming up. And I'm curious to see how all that shakes out. Absolutely. And, and do you think those are going to happen just sporadically or th- is there going to be a time like the first quarter of, of the year or earlier than that? When, when I, could we look for those? Yeah, I have a feeling that when the early, the early votes, uh, early states start happening, Iowa and New Hampshire, you'll start seeing a lot of people kind of land then. And another thing that's been really fascinating to watch is uh, fundraisers, these major dollar fundraisers, they have been sitting on the sidelines as well. Uh, they've been supporting a lot of different candidates, but very few of them are supporting one particular candidate. Uh, and so where they land will be very interesting, even though people like Elizabeth Warren have sworn off uh, these, these high dollar fundraisers. Uh, they still matter, obviously, and and so uh, I'm curious to see. Um, I'm sure that when the field winnows and we're down to a top three, you'll start seeing a lot of these um, these donors and, and high dollar fundraisers kind of settle on a team, and and that will help various candidates as well. Absolutely. Well, Amy Parnes is a writer for The Hill, and you can find her stories there and follow her on Twitter at Amy Parnes. Thank you so much for joining me on The Nexus. Thanks, Art. And we will be right back. What am I expecting in the debates this week? An increasing air of desperation. As Amy Parnes just mentioned, this will be the last chance for many of the candidates, so expect a lot of them interrupting each other in search of that viral moment. It happened last month, with some moments paying off and others not. Eric Swalwell didn't succeed with passing the torch, nor did any of Kirsten Gillibrand's outbursts, but of course, we're still talking about Kamala Harris's takedown of Joe Biden. With people like John Hickenlooper running on fumes, he is going to do anything to get noticed. What will he say? Socialism isn't the answer is a good bet. Jay Inslee will make climate change a cataclysmic issue that must be solved now. Of course, it really is, and that, but that's beside the point. It's hard to see mild-mannered Amy Klobuchar pushing and shoving her way into the scrum, but as she hovers on the edge of getting into the September debates, I'm expecting she will try something as well. Maybe she'll talk about how she can run the government with an iron fist, like her Senate office. Expect Mayor Bill de Blasio to be as bullish as he was the last time, but probably saying a lot of the same. The ones who will be most interesting to watch are those who really could make a play for frontrunner status, like Cory Booker and Julian Castro. How dramatic can they get? What kinds of promises will be made? Pete Buttigieg, who has been fading in the polls, doesn't seem like the interrupting type, but he's got to have a viral moment to reassure his donors and recapture the glory he had in the winter and part of the spring. I don't think Elizabeth Warren is going to go beyond the rhetoric that keeps bringing her success, but it'll be very interesting to see if the somewhat flailing Bernie Sanders attacks her to add some spark to his ho-hum campaign. In any case, unless Senator Warren makes a verbal faux pas, I think she will emerge strongly from this debate and continue her upward spiral. 
The real question will be, what does Joe Biden do? I expect him to attack both Cory Booker and Kamala Harris, and that could be a problem for him. Why? I'm betting that the principled and heartfelt attacks Harris made last time will be perceived as bullying and insensitive by the media coming from Biden. He's going to be in attack mode, but as Amy mentioned, we're used to him being statesmanlike and above the fray. That did not work last time, and Biden needs to show he is fiery and combative to an extent to ward off claims that he is doddering, too old, even senile. <laughs> hey, the reviews were rough last time. If Biden can pass the test that he is not too old or remove this go-round, he will be judged as, quote, back in the game. But the real enjoyment, if you will, are going to be those moments we don't see coming. Andrew Yang saying something pithy that gets the Yang gang mobilized nationwide, or Tulsi Gabbard making a bold foreign policy statement that is talked about the next day. In any case, I'll be glad when the four hours I have to endure this week are over, and we're down to six or seven candidates. John Delaney will be saying goodbye after this week, as with Michael Bennett, and I'm cheering already. I'll miss Marianne Williamson, though she has an outside chance of hanging in there with her new age fabulousness. Won't be sorry to see Kirsten Gillibrand go or the shouting Tim Ryan. Of course, anything is possible, and maybe their fortunes will change. And if they do, I'll be ready. We know President Trump will be watching every minute, tweeting from the sidelines, and talking about how most, if not all, of these candidates hate America and will lead us on the road to ruin. Now that we're used to the chaos of the NBC debates, we can adjust our expectations accordingly. This will be long on flash and short, perhaps non-existent, on substance. There's no business like show business. It's going to be a hell of a week. And that's our show. The Nexus is recorded in Washington and is produced by Colin Martin. Thank you for joining me. And if you like this podcast, please feel free to share it far and wide. We will see you next time and be well. 